Welcome to our Catechism class. It's a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help you learn Christian doctrine with a warm and practical application. Each lesson has its own study guide, and the web link to find that guide can be found in the episode notes. Okay, let's start the lesson. Well, we've been examining the doctrine of justification, and we've learned that before God we are condemned in our sins. We have no righteousness of our own, none at all. In fact, all of our good works, even our moral, religious works, are filthy and disgusting and utterly repellent in the eyes of the God who is holy, the God who dwells in unapproachable light, the God whose holiness and perfection have been deeply offended by our sin. We sin not just because we make mistakes or wrong choices, but because we are sinners, because we are sinful in every part, because our words and our thoughts and our actions are all tainted with sin. And since we can't clean up our lives, how can we ever be right with God? Of course, we know that is only possible in Christ, who was perfect, and who lived a sinless life, and whose atoning death paid the debt for all of our sins. And we've also learned that we receive this gift of forgiveness and salvation by faith, and by faith alone. But how does that happen? How do we get this faith? Where does this faith come from? We know already that it is the gift of God, and that we passively receive it as a gift, But now our catechist gives us some more help in understanding how this faith is given to us by God. And that help is found in Lord's Day 25, question 65. Since then, faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? And the answer is from the Holy Spirit, who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. So in this lesson, we shall look at that question and its answer. You're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast with Bob McAvoy. So where does faith come from? The Catechist gives us a three-part answer to his question. And I've called these three propositions the root of saving faith, the receipt of saving faith, and the reinforcement of saving faith. Let's start with the first one, the root of saving faith. And we're taught in the Catechism that saving faith comes from the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wondered why it is that some people respond to the gospel message and others don't? Perhaps two men go along to a series of gospel meetings and they hear the same preacher. And they sit under his ministry night after night and they sing the same hymns. And the message that they both hear is the same. They're listening to exactly the same sermons. Yet one of them repents and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and is saved and the other 
leaves the meetings and never comes to saving faith in the Lord Jesus and is lost. And why is that? Well, some people will put that down to something within the different men. Perhaps one had a better character, or one had more light, or one was able to find faith or strength within himself to make his decision. But that's far from biblical. We're taught in the scriptures that we are all equally unrighteous, that our eyes are blinded by sin, that we are all dead in our trespasses and in our sins. Now think that over for a moment, that analogy of the sinner being dead. You just can't be a little bit dead. Nor can one person be more dead than another. To be dead is an absolute state. In death all are equal, in the sense that we are all equally incapable of doing anything at all, let alone make a decision. So our catechist shows us how dead people are made alive in Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who takes the initiative, who begins the work of regeneration in the hearts of those whom the Lord has chosen for salvation. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul was convinced that God had begun the work of salvation in these Christians and that he would complete that work. It is after God begins the work in us that we are brought to repentance and faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus himself said in John 6 and 63, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Well, my second proposition is about the receipt of saving faith. And our catechist said that the Holy Spirit works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel. So the Holy Spirit has begun the work in the heart of the sinner. And now we see an external influence that God will bring to bear upon that sinner. That sinner, he or she, will hear the gospel. The word gospel simply means the good news. The message that there is a saviour from sin who died for our salvation, and that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, admittedly, that gospel influence may come from a variety of sources, perhaps from a Sunday school teacher, or from a parent, or from a preacher at a meeting, from a poster at a railway station. But one thing is always for sure, it will always be a declaration of the Word of God. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. First Peter 1 verse 23 to verse 25. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. It's quite clear. Faith comes by hearing God's word. That's why faithful preaching and evangelism, declaring the word of the Lord, are so essential. 
some years ago, I was serving in a church that sat at a crossroads. Every morning, literally thousands of drivers passed that church on their way to work, and many of them passed it at a crawl, for there was a set of traffic lights at the crossroads. It was, in my opinion, a wasted opportunity. I asked the church leadership to consider placing a neon or moving LED sign outside the church with Bible verses that conveyed the gospel in clear terms very quickly to those people in their cars. Verses like you must be born again, by grace are you saved, and so on. The debate that followed my request went on for months. Some people wanted the sign, but they didn't seem to want the scripture verses. One man actually argued that it would be more attractive to the drivers to have pithy little humorous witticisms that might cheer them up as they battled the heavy traffic. But it's not the church's job to cheer up downhearted drivers. Our job is to bring sinners the good news, to bring them to faith in Christ, and that only happens through hearing the word of God. So the debate fizzled out and the sign never got erected. So we have a two-pronged entry into the mind and heart of the sinner, the lost sheep. The Holy Spirit begins the work, preparing the ground for the seed of the word to be sown and creates conviction of sin. And the preached word of God is heard, creating faith in the sinner's life so that the free gift of salvation can be received. In his book on the Catechism, G.I. Williamson has a great illustration. I'll paraphrase it for you. Say a man is living in total darkness, and he can't see for two reasons. The first reason is that the lights in the room are off, and the second reason is that he is blind. Two things are now needed. For him to see, someone needs to come and cure his blindness. And someone needs to switch on the light. And that's basically how we obtain saving faith. The Holy Spirit removes our spiritual blindness. And the entrance of the Word of God brings light. But there is one more proposition in the Catechism, and I've called it the reinforcement of saving faith. Not only does the Holy Spirit initiate the work in us, and not only are we brought onto the sound of the Word of God, but that is strengthened by the use of the sacraments. So the Catechist introduces this concept of the sacraments. The ordinances, as they are sometimes called, there are two of them. There's baptism and there's communion. We might wonder why he brings this up. In many churches, especially in evangelical churches, little or no thought is given to the sacraments. Baptism simply becomes an expression of my personal testimony to conversion. And communion is little more than a weekly ritual purporting to point us back to the cross. And sometimes I wonder, does it? Does it really? In the 16th century, when Zacharias Ursinus and his colleagues were compiling the Catechism, the doctrine of the sacraments of the Church was a major issue. Remember that the purpose of this Catechism was to give Christians a common core of doctrine to unite the Church. Yet one of the biggest divisions in the Church was on the sacraments. 
The Lutherans, on the one hand, believed in baptismal regeneration, that baptism was a direct means of grace, that grace was received in the sacrament by faith. In that way, the sacrament conveyed grace to the sinner. Now, that's different from Catholic doctrine. The Catholic Church believed, and still believes, that the sacraments work ex opere operato. The work works. So if a morally reprobate, unrepentant Roman Catholic came to the Mass and takes the sacrament, it works, it imparts grace, they think, despite the unworthiness of either the recipient or the priest, the celebrant. Now, the Calvinists of the 16th century were deeply opposed to both the Catholic and the Lutheran view of the sacraments. So our catechist is careful to dedicate a large section of the catechism to what the sacraments are and what they do. So this is an important area of doctrine, not just for his day, but for ours also. Essentially, as we look at the sacraments, Ursinus will teach us that the sacraments are more than just a remembrance, more than just an expression of my testimony. The sacraments, in conjunction with the work of the Holy Spirit in the sinner and the preaching of the Word of God, point us to Christ and thus strengthen the God-given saving faith that we must exercise to receive God's gift of salvation. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, we read the Great Commission. Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So we have the ministry of the word and the sacrament. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16, Paul tells us that the cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion, the fellowship of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? But the Catechist will also emphasize that the sacraments in and of themselves do not save us. Baptism does not save us. Communion does not save us. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. Now that brings me to 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. And we're going to have to deal with this. 1 Peter 3 and 21 is one of those difficult verses in 1 Peter. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Here's my problem. Peter says, without equivocation, baptism saves us. Now I've checked this in the original language in the Greek and in other translations in the ESV, for example, where it says baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. New King James Version. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. The Net Bible, translated by Baptists, and this prefigured baptism which now saves you. Now we heartily and willingly believe in the plenary inspiration of God's Word. Every chapter, every verse, every line, every word is inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3 and 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So why does Peter say baptism saves us? And what does he mean by that? I think we need a whole lesson for that. And we're going to do that lesson 
next week. What have we learned in this episode? We've learned that we need faith to be saved. And we've learned that we can't work it up or find it within ourselves. It is God's gift. And God gives it to us by the work of the Holy Spirit and by listening to, by hearing the Word of God. And that's confirmed and strengthened by the effective use of the sacraments. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.